love your presence. We love your presence. We love your presence, Jesus. We love your presence, Holy Spirit. We thank you for receiving our worship this morning. And, and approving that you have received it by your move this morning in this room. Lord, and now we just want to hear from you. We need a word from you. We need to hear from you. We love your presence because we love your word. We love your presence because we love your word. And so open my eyes. Unclog my ears. Open my heart. Eyes to see, ears to hear, and heart to receive the marvelous things that you have in store for us this morning. So we thank you for your presence. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. And amen. As you take your seats, give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Sister Wanda's going to bless us with a song, but we're going to leave it for the end. Amen. She's going to close us with a big bang. And it's not the big bang that uh, evolutionists talk about. It's a big bang of, of praise unto God. Amen. So we want to release our children this morning. Children's ministry from age 4 to 12. And I believe there's nursery. Nursery for infants up to the age of 3. Hallelujah. Yes. I started a two-part message five weeks ago. And so that five weeks ago was part one. God chose to allow to wait five weeks to bring part two. So this is the appointed time for the second part of that message. We we're talking about God preparing us for new seasons. How many, how many feel like you're due for a new season in your walk? Do we have translating? No, no translating? No hay traducción. Si nadie necesita traducción, pues nos vamos por, por inglés all the way. Now, before any of you get bent out of shape, I don't recommend you bring this and drink this in church. I drink it because... My doctor said you need to drink Powerade and you need to drink ban eat bananas because I have a shortage of, of potassium. And none of you know <laughs> the cramps that hit my body once I, move, once I move out of this pulpit. And so if you see me drinking this, just praise God. Uh, so... I sensed five weeks ago, or better yet, I sensed prior to that, it was for months that Pastor Margie and I were sensing that God is trying to shift this church into a new season. He's trying to bring us into a place of change. And some of what God is trying to do in us is take us back to where everything started. 
so that from that place of beginnings, he would then propel us to a future of greater things that he has reserved and in store for this congregation. And so whether you're a member here, whether you're an adherent, someone that's been visiting us for a while, or whether you're a first-time visitor, God brought you this morning to tell you that this is a time in your life where God wants to move you into a new season. In your relationship, in your walk, in your ministry. God has brought us this far. And God wants me to tell you that all that stuff that's going on in your life that you've questioned him about is part of the process of him moving you and shifting you into a new season. Now, I spoke five weeks ago. How is it that in order for God to move us into a new season, we need to be open to change? I spoke five weeks ago. How is it that we natural creatures many times are resistant to change because we fear of the unknown. We feel comfortable in what we already know, what we've already experienced. And so we build our tents or we build our niche or we build our nest in the place of comfort where we're presently at, are at. And so anything that seems to want to move us out of there, we tend to put a roadblock or a wall up in resistance because we normally don't like change. And I confessed to you five weeks ago that I'm probably the chief in that. I lead you in that. I don't like change. And as you get younger like I'm getting, you are more resistant to change. Now I'm saying the truth, because the Bible says that though this outer man decays, the inner man is renewed. So I'm getting younger, with all due respect. Don't hate, I'm getting younger. So as we get younger, we are more resistant to change. And I use Jeremiah chapter 1 and God's calling upon the prophet as the basis or the foundation to the message that I brought. But because it was five weeks ago, I think it would be prudent to bring you a refreshing this morning. So, use Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 10. That's what I read. I'm not going to read it this morning. But in essence, what God was sharing with us through that passage of scripture and through Jeremiah's experience was the following things that I shared. And that is when God calls us, he causes us to change direction. Meaning he shifts us into a new season, which our human nature generally hates or change and, and it tends to resist. Another point that I shared five weeks ago was because of our resistance to change, many times God has to break our nest. Remember I used the example of the eagle. When the eagle is preparing a nest for his newborn, for his young, it doesn't build it next to the ground. It seeks the greatest of heights to build that nest because part of the process of becoming an eagle and graduating from a young bird into a majestic bird that flies with such grace, it is 
the process of challenge, of casting those eaglets into the unknown. And so when the time comes, the eagle breaks the nest, the eaglets begin to descend rapidly, almost in a reckless way, probably believing that they're heading towards their death and their destruction. But the eagle swiftly, right before they hit the ground, right before they're about to die, the eagle swiftly picks them up and puts them under its pinions, and it brings them back up to the heights, and the process begins again. See, some of us, we've been falling, and we get up, and we fall, and we get up, and we fall, and we get up, because God is going to continue to bring us up and let us fall until we don't learn to fly. And the truth of the matter is that some of us are slower learners than others. And that's a political correct way of saying some of us are more stubborn than others. So I just left the political correctness, and I, I'm just blunt. Some of us are more stubborn and more hard-headed than others. Now, for the visitors, there's people in this church that are still not accustomed to, I'm just a straightforward guy. I just say it to you the way that I get it or the way that I know how to. Unfortunately, I'm not a scholar. I'm not a uh, 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 uh. college graduate, high school graduate, went to Bible Institute, but I speak the way that I know how to speak. And so I am going to tell you some things that are going to hit you a little hard, and they might seem a little raw, but, but just allow God to convey to you what is it that he's trying to communicate. Allow the Spirit of God just to beautify or to soften out maybe the rough things that I might say. Amen? Are you willing to do that? Okay, now we can move forward. Um, so, he desires, God desires, that's why he breaks our nets of comfort, because he desires to take us in a new direction. If not, we will not be able to look beyond our present, and we will settle for the present, not realizing that God has something greater, more glorious, planned for your life. Amen? How many know we haven't reached it yet? <laughs> we haven't reached all of God's purpose and plans for our lives. We still got to be striving because God, this is not the end. If this was the end, you stop breathing right now, see you in heaven. But if you're breathing, somebody just inhale and exhale. You're breathing. Amen. If you're breathing, that means that God has something still to do in you and through you that's far more glorious than what you've done thus far. And so this is why he breaks our nests. He brings us out of our comfort zone so that we could take our eyes from the present and some of us even from the past. I, I, I am amazed how many people are talking and they celebrate past glories, but today they're nowhere close to where they were back then. Spiritually, 
they've lost their, their, their drive. Spiritually, they've lost their motivation. They've settled, amen, just to be comfortable parts of a congregation, but they're not doing anything for the Lord. But you ask them about, oh, 30, 40, 50 years. Oh, my God. I remember when God, well, what is God doing in your life now? You've settled for comfort, and God wants to break you out of that nest because he has something more glorious than what you experienced 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. He, he's a God that's always in motion. He's always wanting to do a new thing. Even when you don't perceive it. And so in order for us to perceive that new thing, God breaks us out of the comfort zone so that then we could fully put our trust and our faith in him and begin to follow even where we don't know he's taken us. But where you lead me, I will follow. And so that's what God is doing with us as a church, and particularly with many of us individually, and even in our families. So the next time you think of whining and crying and complaining, remember these words, part of the process of shifting you to this new glorious season that God wants to take you is uncomfortable. And it will be trying to your faith. It will test your faith because our faith needs to be tested. If it's not tested, it doesn't grow. If it's not tested, it's not strengthened. Amen. God gave us a measure of faith, but he has left it up to us to cause that faith to increase. How does that faith increase? Many times through trials and tribulations. How could you know that God can deliver you from something if you've never been through anything? And how are you going to speak to someone that's going through something if you yourself has not gone through anything? Then all you're sharing is pure philosophy. Amen. God didn't save us to share philosophy. God saved us, amen, to give us a testimony so that we'd be able to share with others and encourage others when they go through their stuff. Amen. Hallelujah. Our fears will not allow us to see the things from God's perspective. We will simply see what's before us and conclude that this must be it. Therefore, we must learn to put our trust, our hope, and our faith totally on God. Another point that I brought was that God many times has to change the way that we talk because some of us, we have embraced a language of negativity that was put in us, many of us from an early age. All we heard from those that God had placed in our lives to nurture us, to encourage us, all we heard was negativity, negative expressions. You're not going to amount to anything. You're stupid. You're a fool. How many times parents would tell their children, you're an idiot because they made a mistake. And so we don't realize that when we speak those words, words contain power. 
They have the power to build, but they also have the power to destroy. And so many of us have embraced a language of negativity because that's all we heard when we were growing up. And so we've accepted what others have spoken uh, to us or spoken about us. And God is saying, no, that's not the plan that I have for you. I have a greater plan for your life. And so I'm going to send a trial. I'm going to shake you out of the comfort zone so that you will learn, amen, not only, not only to fly, but so that you will learn to speak, amen, and to embrace the words that I want to speak into your life, amen, so that you would prepare yourself to flow in the plan that God has purposed for your life. And so to the, to the prophet Jeremiah, God said, listen, in, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 7 through 10, he says, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. This was Jeremiah's negativity, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and he touched my mouth. Now, when I was growing up and I would say something that I shouldn't, The way mom touched my mouth was, don't say that. So, because parents many times have a reflection of God as a father, I wouldn't doubt that when God put out his hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth, he didn't just go, shut up. You know that there's been times that I ha I've had to slap my mouth and tell myself, shut up. Put out his hand, touch his mouth. And he said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, many of us, we don't have anything good to say because we haven't gotten a word from God. We're getting a word from everyone else. As a matter of fact, we're stealing everyone else's word. Because we find it easier to take someone else's word and what God conveyed to someone else than for us to pay the price and get into the presence of God. Amen. And pray and get into the word and seek his face. And so we've embraced and taken everybody else's word. And so we're speaking everybody else's word, but it's having no impact, no change, no transformation. But when you get a word from God... <laughs> when God gives you a word and you convey that word, trust you me, that word is going to be like a, the Bible says the word is like a two-edged sword. It cuts going in, cuts coming out. But it's not just cutting, cutting you just to leave you wounded. It's surgically making you right. So when you get a word from God, people might feel uncomfortable when they hear it, but when it's from God, amen, the Bible says that his word never returns back void, but it accomplishes the purpose, the mission for which it was spoken. And so God wants to put a word in your mouth. God wants to put a word in your heart, but in order for him to put that word in your mouth and in your heart, you first have to fall in love with the word. Friday, 
Thursday, when did we have that dinner? Thursday. I was driving to the restaurant to meet with a few men. We were saying, having a goodbye dinner for Brother Junior, who left. And I'm minding my own business, and I must confess, though in my subconscious, God is always there, but in my conscience, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just listening to the radio and going to the restaurant and saying, well, we're going to have a good dinner. I hope this is good food. I've never been there. So, and all of a sudden, when I'm, when I'm thinking of nothing about God, God shows up in my car as I'm driving. And he tells me, tell my people that a whirlwind of deception has been unleashed upon the globe. And the strength of this deception is far greater than the earth has ever experienced. And this whirlwind of deception is so strong, is so potent, that it will take everything in his path. Tell my people that the only way they will be able to withstand this whirlwind of deception is if they cling to the horns of my altar. Yes. Is if they take this word, they press it against their chest, and while they're pouring their hearts before my altar, they cry out, they wail, and they say, God, record it in my heart recorded in my mind, recorded in my spirit. God, God, give me, a, give me a passion, give me a hunger for this word. Oh God, that, that I could not let a day go by without me getting into the, and God was saying, tell the people, I, I want you right now, just take your Bible, because I feel that this is a moment. Whether you have it in book or electronic, take your Bible right now and just press it against your chest and say, God, give me a hunger. Give me a passion for this word that I could not find my sleep at night if I let the day go by without eating your word. Why? Because the Lord said, Anything that is in the path of this whirlwind of deception will be swept by that whirlwind. And he told me the only ones that will be able to withstand this whirlwind of deception will be my remnant. Those who have placed their full trust in me and who have taken the scroll and have made a decision to eat it and swallow it. Now, this is a warning that God has given us because as he was sharing that with me, I was able to see many people that I know. I was able to see some of you that are sitting here this morning and others that are not here this morning but that are part of this congregation. As I'm driving, this is crazy. God has given me a vision. Now, I, I tell you, don't, don't try to see anything else while you're driving. <laughs> but God, only God can do that. 
give you a vision as you're driving, and all of a sudden you don't even remember where you were going, but you're seeing something. And so God revealed to me there were people even of this house that were caught up in this whirlwind of deception. And God says, I want you, just like I told Jeremiah, I want you to sound the alarm and give them a warning. If we do not go back to the old path of seeking God's face of praying, if we do not go back to the old path of falling in love with the word of God, if we don't put down Facebook and Twitter, if we don't put down the magazines that we're reading and all the garbage that we are feeding ourselves and take hold of the word of God, I'm telling you, I don't care how firmly you think you're grounded, the whirlwind is going to take you. It's so bad that God said, the deception in this day will be so bad that I'm going to have to cut the day short because if I don't cut them, even my elect will be deceived. I don't think I'm even going to get to my message. I'm only speaking about the stuff that I spoke five weeks ago. But this is what God is saying. This is what God is saying. And my spirit has been uncomfortable lately. And I've had this conversation with some of you. Because God gave Pastor Margie and I a vision a couple of years ago. And he says, I want you to encourage my people and promote my people to do life and to have community, do community together. We even did a book on community, didn't we? We did a book on community in our wild sessions. And this is what God was telling me. Many have taken this doing life and doing community just as a way to have fun. And they've done like Israel. Many of them are doing community and doing life, but they have taken the goal that I gave them to build an altar They've used it to build a golden calf. And these gatherings have become more of a gathering around the golden calf of leisure, of entertainment, of talking to things that seem to be appealing to us. But when God is trying to get into our gatherings and into our community, into our doing life, we don't let him in. He's not welcome because we want to talk about Sports, we want to talk about houses, we want to talk about cards, we want to talk about pastor. <laughs> All the elders. And so God has stirred my spirit. And, and, and I spoke this not too long ago and I'm saying it again. And I believe this is, this is an urgent plea from God. We need to come back into the vision that God gave us. And that is that even in our gatherings to have fun, to break bread, to go and do something, God has to be included somewhere in that activity. We need to speak words of encouragement. Many of you, God has given you the ability to influence and draw people. Amen. But instead of you using that influence, amen, to speak encouragement and to build people's faith, God has brought lukewarm people into your gathering. God has brought lukewarm people into your activity, but they're still lukewarm. And what happens is because you're not imparting into their life, their lukewarmness is rubbing off on you. Now, this is definitely not part of the notes. This is not here. This is the Spirit of God speaking to me right now. And I'm sharing it with you. Folks, I love it. 
I love to hear that you're doing life. I love to know that you're doing community. But please, don't make these gatherings of doing life and doing community go by without inviting Jesus Christ into that activity. Amen. When the, old, when the New Testament church started, they were having community, doing community, and doing life. But the Bible says they would get together, and they would pray, and they would sing, and they would worship, and they would break bread. Now, am I saying that every activity that you do, you got to take a time and do a kumbaya? No. But what I am saying is that we should be more intentional in including God by speaking encouragement, hope, faith, by challenging the people that want to, because there's people here that they will go to your gathering. They will go and play games with you. They will go and hike with you. They will go and bowl with you. They will go, but they don't want to, they don't want to serve God. They think that by coming here once a week is enough. It's sufficient. I pay my dues. I'm here Sunday. And then from, from the moment they leave this place until next Sunday, God is nowhere in the... And folks, with all due respect, this life that you're living, this movie that God has included you in, you're not the main actor. You're not the main character. This life that you have is not about you. It's not about your career. It's not about your job. It's not about your material possessions. This life is not about you. As a matter of fact, if he took the life from you, if he snuffed the life out of you right now, all that stuff that you're investing your energies in, To whom will you leave it? You can't take it with you. The only thing you could take with you is what you did in this movie that was connected to his kingdom. And the movie in many people's lives is going to stop soon. I'm telling you, some of you, you already got the date for the movie to end. And for some people here, it might be sooner than later. Because when that comes knocking at your door, it don't matter how old, how young, how full of vitality you are, when it's your time, it's your time. And even if you make it to heaven through fire, there's going to be a day that you're going to have to stand before the throne to receive your reward. Now, if what we did on earth didn't matter, why do we have rewards in heaven? If all that mattered to God was for us to be saved and to make it to heaven, why even have a tribunal seat where we will be re rewarded based on what we did? And the truth of the matter is that some of us, when that reward Ceremony takes place. Some of us will be found lacking. I always think, the Bible doesn't say this, but the Bible says that he will wipe all our tears away. But I believe, I still believe, that when we appear before the seat of Christ to receive our reward, there's going to be somehow that we're going to hear the cries 
and the laments of people that God put in our path that we had an opportunity to touch and to speak to, but we chose not to because we were so busy about living my life and doing my thing and making sure that I'm saved and that's all that matters. Amen. We're going to hear the cries of those individuals. That's my personal opinion. And so it is, it is, it is urgent for us to understand, folks, God is calling us, and everyone in this room has a call. You have two calls, one unto salvation, and then you have a call to do the work of the ministry. Whatever that call is, it is up to you to seek God. And if you seek him, the Bible says if you seek him, you'll find him. If you knock, he'll open. If you ask, he'll answer. If you want to know what your calling is, all you got to do is get serious with God. And he will let you know what your calling is. And if you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't discover a calling, you already have a calling. Mark chapter 16. Go into all the world. With all due respect, folks, with all due respect, we have a ministry here called Evangelism Outreach. With all due respect, these two elders, they lead that ministry. But if I'm waiting for them, if I'm waiting for them to plan something so that then I could go reach the loss, then I've lost my call. I've lost my focus and I've lost my purpose. I don't need the church to organize me. I don't need the church to plan something for me to do. I know what I've been called to do. And every day God takes me into a mission field called work. And he takes me into a mission field called school. And he takes me into a mission field called the supermarket or the mall. Every day God takes me into a mission field. And he brings before me souls that deep down are wounded and that are at the precipice of hell. I wonder how many of us at some point or another cross path with this young man who decided to blow himself and his two-year-old son and his neighbor by setting off a bomb in his car. Right? Two blocks from here. Three blocks from here. Now, my question is, how many more people are crossing our path that are thinking about suicide because they've reached rock bottom, because they've tried everything and they've lost hope? Because they're no longer satisfied and they're no longer, the things that used to satisfy them before, those superficial things are no longer working because they discover that the hunger that they have is deeper than what that junk that you used to, amen, feed yourself with before can, can, can satisfy. And so they are crying out. They are crying out for a savior. They are crying out for someone. They are crying out and waiting for the children of God to rise up. And it's a shame that we're involved in so many things, including ministries in the church, but we're losing our neighbors, we're losing our community. Because we've chosen the nest of comfort. I'm just gonna do enough to get by. I can't do all that that the pastor's talking. I work 12 hours. I, I, uh, I go to school, I do this, I do that, I got two jobs, 
Amen. I don't know if those excuses are going to wash with God. Some people got two jobs because you're living beyond your means. You have not learned to steward, to be a good steward of what God has given you. And so you want to live beyond what God has given you. You don't know how to steward the little and God can't trust you with much, but you want to get the much anyway. And so you go about it getting yourself, amen, and then you get yourself into debt. And then you have to work two jobs and then your spiritual life goes in decline and your ministry drops dead. And you're not doing nothing for Christ, but just coming to church and doing enough to get by. And God is going to hold every one of us accountable for that. Because his call was not for us to build big houses and buy big houses. His call was not for us to get a newer car. His call was not, amen, for us, amen, to seek, amen, the, the material things of this world, amen. His call was, seek my kingdom first and my righteousness. And if you learn to do that, I will give you everything and anything that you want and desire. But we don't trust God. We say we trust God. We don't. We don't trust God. And I'm saying, I'm talking to the church at large. I'm preaching this message for us. And I pray that this message is, 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 is being spoken in many pulpits this morning all over this nation because this is the message that this nation needs to hear. The nation is in the predicament that is in. Our politicians are in the predicament that they're in. Not because of them. We blame them. We accuse them. We say it's the Republicans. We say it's the Democrats. We say it's Obama. We say it's Trump. It's none of them. It's us. We've lost our focus. We've lost our call. Church has fallen into a Lukewarm state. We need to read the seven letters that God. Oh, shalabashika talamashua. Iralamashika talamashuta lahasaya. Ikalamamashika lamasokoromoshia. Indalamamasorokoshoto lamamosua. Got all the Bible seminaries that a nation can have. We have prophets, 10 cents a dozen. Everybody's prophesying, and everybody wants to hold the title of a prophet. We got people who, whose apostleship has gotten, has come from a crackerjack box, not from God's calling, and they want to be apostles. They can't build their house and they go and open up 10, 10 places with five people each. And then they want to be called apostles. And God is saying, he's coming to this land. And the first ones that are going to experience the cleansing and the judgment of God is the church. Because it is time for judgment to start. And if judgment is coming to the sinner, God would have no leg to stand on if he left the church in the condition the church is in. And so he's established an order. He says judgment will first come to my house, to the church. And God is coming to this nation. There's a whirlwind not only of deception, but there's a whirlwind of a move of God that's going to come to cleanse and to expose the counterfeit from the real.
God wants to use you, folks. There are people here that have the ability to teach, to preach, to disciple, to sing, to pray. There are people here that have the anointing to pray out demons and to, and to cast out devils. But we're asleep because we've embraced the pattern of this world. And the Bible says no true soldier of God gets entangled with the affairs or the business of this world because they know that their goal is to please the one that called them. But we are entangled. We are blindfolded by the affairs of this world. We're busier trying to get, like I said before, material things at the expense of being careless with the call that God has placed in our lives. We're waiting for someone to plan something, to start something, and God is telling you, I gave you the anointing for you to go out there and do what you're supposed to do. You don't need to wait for anyone. You don't need to wait for pastor because when God calls you before his throne, he's not going to tell you, bring your pastor. I want to ask him why he didn't. Why he didn't use your giftings? No, he's going to ask you. He's going to ask you. He's going to ask every one of you that is in this room. He's going to ask me. And I can't bring anyone and use them as my crutch. I'm going to have to give accountability to God for what I did with the talent, with the ministry, with the call, with the anointing, and more than that, with the salvation that he gave me. Now, this would be a perfect moment for the musicians and the singers to come and sing that last song. <laughs> to get these people riled up. This would be a great moment. But better yet, don't get riled up. Get healed, get cured. Let the sword cut in, in and out. Let it do some surgery on you. You need for God to remove that heart of stone. Your heart is becoming more and more a heart of stone. The longer you leave your calling and you put it on the shelf and you put it as secondary and you're pursuing everything else, your heart is getting harder. And God is saying, I want to do a surgery this morning. I want to cut out that heart that's starting to get hard like stone. You don't want it to get hard like stone because once your heart is hardened, amen, that amen, the Bible says that he who is, he who is corrected and rebuked and re re rejects the rebuke and the correction, amen, immediately they will be cut. And the Bible says there will not be any cure for them. And so God wants to cure you this morning. He wants to remove that heart that is starting to harden, and he wants to give you a heart of flesh so that you can feel the compassion for the lost and so that you will feel a passion for Jesus that is secondary to nothing else. Nothing else will matter to you but to live for Jesus, to love Jesus, to love his word, and have compassion for the lost and do what God is calling us to do. <laughs> teachers in this room. There's preachers in this room. There's worship leaders in this room. There's musicians in this room. There's evangelists in this room. And God is saying, wake up. Wake up. One of the saddest things about the prophet Jeremiah was that God told him, I'm putting a word in your mouth. You're going to talk to a people that are hard. And they will not listen to you. 
And I must confess, sometimes I feel that way. I feel like I speak to people that sometimes they look at you and they, they hear what you're saying, but they don't listen. There's no more difficult task than for a man and woman of God to bring a word from God and to see people sitting and choosing to be hard of hearing and therefore hard of hearts. Where are the ministers? Where are them? Where are the men and the women? Where are they? Where are they? When I call out people to prayer, where are you? When I call my people to seek my face, God says, where are you? I was here Friday night. Tell you something, man, with all due respect, I love you to death. I love you. But when it comes to the things that are spiritual, we are so dropping the ball. And then we're complaining, why are the women doing everything in church? Why are there so many women in leadership? Why are there women pastors? Why are there women doing all these things? And, 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 and don't they understand what the Bible says? That the woman should be simply uh, placed in a position to teach children or to teach their home. And, and so we're complaining, but we ain't rising up. And God is not going to stop his kingdom and his kingdom work to wait for us lazy. <laughs> because I'm the pastor. If I was an evangelist, I would not dare say, but us lazy bum men's. God is calling us, guys. I, I feel I'm so compelled. I'm so compelled. I'm so compelled. I was here Friday. As we usually try to be here for an hour of prayer. And I didn't wait to see who showed up or who didn't. I walked in, Wanda walked in after me. And so I knew Wanda was here and I was here. She was in this corner, I was over there. And I began to cry out to God. And I began to pray as the Spirit of God gave me utterance. And all of a sudden I heard this room with 20 people at least. And after I finished praying, I got up. And there was only four of us, including myself. And I was the only man, three women, that were hanging on to the horns of the altar. And were saying, God, will that not revive us again? God, will you visit us one more time? God, will we be able to see the end time harvest in the condition that we're in? They were crying out to God here, but I thought it was like 20 people because the prayer was so intense that it was like there was more people in the room. When I got up, it was only four of us. 
We want God to bless us at our convenience. We want God to bless us, but we're not willing to pay a price. David was going to be blessed with a parcel of land, but he told the owner, nope, I will not take anything for free. I will not offer up God a sacrifice that does not cost me something. It's got to cost me something in order for it to be acceptable. God is not going to bless you. As a matter of fact, some of the blessings you have is because of grace and mercy. But let me tell you something. I'm going to say a word right now, and it's coming from God. There's people in this room that are about to lose stuff rapidly, Hallelujah. quickly. There's stuff that's going to be stripped from you because God has his eyes set on you. And he loves you so much that instead of letting you go and picking someone else, he said, no, I chose you because I know I have the plans that I have for you. And because I chose you, if you don't come and you don't respond the way that I'm calling you to respond voluntarily, then you will respond through a strong arm. And I believe God is saying this morning, there's people here that have worked hard for many things and God is about to start stripping stuff from you. Because you've used God's blessings to distract you, to lose your focus. And while you're basking in all the material blessings that God has given you, God is hungering for your gift. So you're nice and fat with blessings. And don't look at me when I say fat. Better yet, you're nice and pleasantly plumped with blessings. Yet the Spirit of God is being grieved because you're living a life of disobedience. And disobedience leads to rebellion. And rebellion is witchcraft. And so God is saying this morning, listen, listen, you might interpret this however you want. I know, I, I know who's talking to me and who, who's talking through me. So I have no doubts. Whatever you want to do with this message and whatever criticism you want to bring, be careful. Be careful, because Miriam and Aaron criticized the man of God, and they were overcome by leprosy. And had that not been because the man of God cried out to God, they would have died in leprosy. So be very careful what you say. I would rather you shut up, even for the things you don't understand, and say, God, if this was you, help me. Open my eyes. Unclog my deaf ears. Break my heart and heart so that I can see, hear, and perceive what you're trying to communicate to me. And though I believe God is speaking to women in this room, there's a heaviness in my heart for the men in this room. I really feel that God is ministering to you. You've dropped the ball when it comes to being a spiritual leader. You've dropped the ball big time. All you do is work, 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 and you think because you bring a good check to your house and because you bought a nice house or you got nice possessions that that's being a good man and a leader. No, no, no. You've dropped the ball when it comes to priesthood. You're not a priest. 
Amen. And that's why, no matter how good things you might have, amen, slowly but surely, your kingdom is falling apart, and it will fall. It will crumble because nothing that is built on sand will last when the storm comes. Only that which is built upon solid foundation, only that which is built, amen, by us understanding that our primary responsibility in life is to please God and please God and please God. Those are the three primary responsibilities. Please God, please God, live for God, please God. And then if we please God, live for God and please God, then we will be able to enjoy all the blessings, because he doesn't want us to be paupers. He doesn't want us to live in poverty. He wants to prosper us. Amen. But prosperity got to come through his, through his, uh, 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 you know, his plan. If prosperity comes through any other plan other than God's plan, if it came through your hard work and through your efforts and through you sacrificing yourself to attain all this prosperity, trust you me, you're going to lose it. And even if you don't lose it, at the end of your life, you're going to die miserable. You're going to be like many of the graves that are in the cemetery right now, full of potential that was unfulfilled, full of purpose that was never accomplished. Then we wonder why people in church have suicidal thoughts. How could a safe person have suicidal thoughts? I could tell you how. When they've lost their way and they've lost their focus and they think they could come to God and treat him like if he was a, a pauper, treat him like if he was Lazarus the poor man, give him crumbs. You're giving the best of your meal, the best of your life to everything that you want and everything that you have and you come and bring God crumbs on Sunday morning. God is saying, I'm not a pauper, I don't need your crumbs. As a matter of fact, God is saying, I don't need you, I simply want you. God doesn't need us, trust you me. If he didn't have me, he wouldn't be a lesser God. He wouldn't be less sovereign if he didn't have me. If I chose, amen, not to live for God and just chose to ignore him and chose to commit blasphemy, which is the unforgiven sin, and what is blasphemy? Blasphemy is when you reach the point of death denying the conviction of the Holy Spirit whether it's onto salvation or whether it's onto your call, to your ministry. When you live a life of disobedience and you descend into the grave as a rebel, disobedient, that's the greatest sin, the unpardonable sin, blasphemy, rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, rejecting the voice of the Holy Spirit when he sends his prophets and he sends his servants to try to wake, awaken you, to try to shake you out of your comfort, to try to wake you up from your slumber. When you reject that and you continue to reject that, amen, you will reach a point, amen, where you will descend to the grave and you will commit the unpardonable sin, blasphemy, rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. That's blasphemy. If you're here this morning... I don't care what you've done or what you said against God, you haven't blasphemed. You're here. But if you choose to reject and to put a deaf ear to the voice of God, not only this morning, but the messages that God is bringing to this house. I mean, Pastor Ray, God used him to speak a prophetic word. He doesn't know what we've been preaching. He's talking about God is shifting us. And when he spoke to Pastor Margie and I, we didn't take it for us only. 
We said, if God is shifting us, God is shifting our people. If God is about to do a new thing with us, he's about to do a new thing with our leaders, with our people, with everyone who clings to the anointing, with everyone, amen, who comes under the covering of God's delegated anointing over this house. Everyone who falls into that covering, they will be blessed because you will receive, he who honors a prophet will receive the rewards of a prophet. When you honor the man of God, the woman of God, when you honor the word that God speaks to their lives, guess what? You are a participant of their blessings. Thank God I'm preaching next Sunday. Next Sunday, I'll bring the message for today. <laughs> All I did was review five weeks ago. I'm preaching next Sunday. I'll be preaching for the next few Sundays because Pastor Margie is recovering. She had foot surgery. And she's recovering. Then she's going to get the other foot operated on. So you'll have me. Oh, my God. There's a Spanish saying that says, he who does not like broth, you give him three cups. And God is saying, you might not like the broth that pastor's is bringing, but I'm going to give them to you for the next three or four weeks. How many know that broth sometimes is a healing balm for internal diseases? There's nothing like a good prepared, yeah, caldo de pescado, which means a broth of fish. Whoa. You drink, drink that stuff. Sometimes it's not the best tasting, but you drink that stuff, man, that'll take the devil out of you. <laughs> and if it's prepared by someone that's anointing, definitely it will take the devil out of you because it has double anointing. And so God is saying, you might not like the broth that pastor's preaching. Amen. And some of you, if you choose to go someplace else, God is going to arrest you wherever you go. He's either going to speak to you the same message, or if you go to a church that's not following, amen, and, and not, not going according to the flow of the Spirit, you're going to feel so miserable. You're going to run, want to run back home because there's no place like home. Amen. There's no place like home. And if God has put you here and had you here this far, this is home. This is home, guys. I want everybody to stand because I believe this message is for everybody. And if I could stand a little higher, I would. Because I want to let you know that I'm standing with you. Everybody stand. Those of you that can. Yeah. I want you to repeat after me. Put your hands in your heart. You can't put them in your heart. Put them on your heart. Let God put them in your heart. Just repeat after me. Say, God, I thank you because you love me so much. That with all the reasons I have given you to forget about me, to walk away from me, you have chosen to pursue me. With an irresistible, eternal love. God, 
open my heart. Let me experience the love that you are trying to, to share with me. Help me to fall in love with you again. Awaken a passion in my soul for your presence. And awaken a compassion in my heart for the lost. God, help me to understand that I've used some poor excuses to not do what you have equipped me to do. And so I confess my sins of speaking negative things about myself that disqualify me when you have qualified me. God, change my vocabulary. Pass the burning coal over my lips like you did with Isaiah. Purify my lips. Purify my heart. And may I begin to take hold of what you say about me. May I begin to take hold of your promises. And may the fire ignite again deep inside of my soul. That I would not be able to rest at night unless I'm walking in your way and fulfilling your purposes for my life. Now I want you to say something and say this with a passion. God, bring the shifting. I need a shifting. I need a shifting. Do you feel what I feel? Can you feel what I feel? Hora lama shata lama shua. Now, if there's anyone in this house that is not saved. Or you are part of the fold, but you have become that sheep that has been lost. You didn't come here this morning because you chose to. The shepherd went out of his way to get you out of your bed and bring you here this morning because he wants to bring you into his fold. I want you to run up here right now. Anyone in this house that's not saved, anyone in this house that is living separated from God. You've gone your own way. You're not living the way that just, I want you to walk up here this morning. I'm not gonna anoint everyone. I'm just gonna do a prayer. We're gonna join hands this morning and we're gonna break that bondage that has kept you, amen, from, from being fully engaged in the fold. God has, he wants you in the fold, engaged in the community of believers that he's placed you in. He wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to be uplifted. He wants to do a new, a new work and bring you into a new season. I want you to run up here right now. Anybody, anybody, come on, come on, come on, come on. Anybody in this room? Everybody's saved in this room. Everybody's following Christ. Everybody's living for Christ. If you're living for Christ, that's okay. You can stay where you're at. But if you're not, you need to run up here right now. This might be your final call. And I'm not using these words to try to scare you. I'm using these words because these are the words God has placed in my heart. 
Those of you that know me, you know that I don't, I don't say these things all the time. But if God is calling you this morning, he wants to save you. He wants to break the bondage. I want my elders. Pray. 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 If there's any kid in this house, you've been born and raised here, but you've never made a personal commitment for Jesus Christ. You're just clinging on to your parents. God is saying you've reached the age where your parents will no longer be accountable. You are accountable for your own salvation. If there's any child in this house, any person in this house, any young person in this house, the Bible says, do not let anyone be little or take take for little or take as your youth as something that's not important. God wants to use you even at this tender age, at this young age. God wants to use you. If there's any kid in this house that has not accepted Christ as Lord and Savior publicly, then come. We'll pray for you this morning.